When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. The word of the Lord. I've been thinking all week just how blessed Christina and I are to be able to speak to you guys, to be able to teach and present messages and to instruct you. It's just such an honor for us. We don't take this for granted. Thank you for that. So I'm a communicator for a living. I'm a professor. And yet I have an embarrassing number of embarrassing moments when it comes to communication. A few years ago, I had one of my more embarrassing moments. I was at a party, and I went up to an older gentleman and started talking to him. And the conversation kind of moved towards the law and capital punishment. And so I decided that I was just going to instruct him. And so I began to just rattle off all of these ideas that I had about the penal system and about incarceration and capital punishment and, and all these things. And he nodded very politely and occasionally would give me a slight correction, but would just listen very well. And I, I don't know how long I talked at him. But at the end, I shook his hand. I said, nice to meet you. Good to have a conversation with you. And, and I walked away. And I saw somebody else I knew. And I talked to my friend. And I said, hey, how are you doing? He's like, hey, do you know we have a Supreme Court justice here tonight? <laughs> I said, kindly point out that person. And sure enough. <laughs> I'm sure he learned tons from me that night. <clears throat> You know, we think of the Holy Spirit this way sometimes. We think of the Holy Spirit as a kind of uh, keep-to-himself fellow, somebody who's quiet, who doesn't really want to speak, who just does a good job listening. We think perhaps he whispers at times, but is the silent person of the Trinity. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Holy Spirit, while he is indeed extremely humble, has special charge of communicating to us. He loves to speak. It is his job. He has no difficulty saying things either bold or delicate, complex or piercingly clear. He is the communicator par excellence. As we unpack this episode in Acts 2, we'll see the Holy Spirit's communication on full display. In this really curious image, diverse tongues of fire, Divided tongues of fire. And that is, I'll explain, that the Holy Spirit's business is to use different methods to testify to Jesus, always with holy power. Let me say it again. The Holy Spirit's business is to use different methods to testify to Jesus, always with power. We'll look at Acts 2, but I want to start in a different place if you'll allow me, Genesis 11. 
And you may turn there in your Bible if you'd like. The story of Babel, the Tower of Babel. We'll start with a story about communication gone horribly wrong. Genesis 11, starting in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. In other words, they've developed a new technology and they're going to use this really well. Verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This people, these people of Babel, use their unity for an evil purpose. They unify to elevate themselves over others. Do you see that? They intend to centralize in such a way as to dominate others and even challenge God himself. They want to be famous. To have a name that earth and heaven have to respect. They want to communicate to the world their might. And they share this common language. They, they share words with each other. And you know, words really enable honor. Words enable pride. Words are so often used to empower a certain group to bring honor to themselves even. Think about this. Groups of friends will develop a language and use slang with each other, and that becomes sort of the criterion by which they know each other. So that, you know, uh, if you don't know the slang, you're out. So a group of girls will be talking, and they'll use the word hangry. Like, I just learned what this means. I'm excited about it. <laughs> hangry, you know. And, and some other girl doesn't know what hangry means. She's like, what does hangry mean? Oh, you don't know what hangry means? Uh -huh. you know, and, and then you have this sense of a group that's powerful and somebody who's not. Businesses build internal communication platforms to maximize efficiency and assert competitive advantage. And there's nothing wrong with that in a free market, but it can be used to create monopolies. Politicians and organizations try to shape headlines and shape the type of vocabulary used. And again, none of this is, in, none of this is inherently evil, but words are a way to mobilize our intentions. Words are the basis for establishing honor for someone. To bring it home and make it more personal, chances are you have used words this last week to bring honor to yourself at the expense of someone else. You have used words in some way to bring honor to yourself and to make yourself look good, even if it means somebody else looks bad and God is asking you to repent this morning. He wants you to turn from that. God is calling you to make it right, to use your tongue to bless and not to curse. Verse 5, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they're one people and they have all one language and this is the only the beginning of what they'll do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them 
from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. You see what happens here. God sees the threat and takes it seriously, so the way he eliminates the the threat is he cuts the mechanism of their pride. He severs their communication so that they cannot make a name for themselves. They're divided and confused. They're again scattered and isolated. They, They don't get to name themselves. They can't communicate. And I start with this story in Genesis 11 because it's actually, um, as Bible scholars have shown, it's actually a mirror image of what happens in Acts 2. Genesis 11, the the Tower of Babel is all about the breaking up of language and scattering people. And in Acts 2, the people will come together and be given languages to put them all on the same road again. So let's turn there, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So we're starting up, uh, not in chapter 1, but in chapter 2, they were all together. Who is they? They were Jews. They, They were the followers of Jesus. And it actually says there were 120 of them. So 120 people were all together in one place on the day of Pentecost. What is the day of Pentecost? Uh, It actually comes from the root penta, meaning 50. So Pentecost was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Or at least that's how we understand it today. For the Jews, it was 50 days after the end of Passover. There was a special ceremony called the waving of the sheaf. And so it was 50 days after that. Uh, And the idea was that this was the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks, so seven times seven, the next day after that, so 50 days after that. And this was supposed to be a festival. And if you go to Leviticus 23, you can look at this later, I find it interesting that the Feast of Weeks is described as a day of rest, sacrifice, corporate worship, and proclamation, it says. It's a day of communication. It was a day when God's people were supposed to be communicated to from God's word. And as we'll see, Pentecost is the undoing of the curse of Babel. This cursed communication gets undone. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Can you picture that? I mean, you got 120 people in here? Maybe a second ago we did, uh, you know, we, with the kids, and that's what it would have been like, probably some kids in there too. So 120 were in one house, and I, I don't know how big this house was, but I can't imagine it was en- enormous. So, I mean, people are packed into this house. It is quite the party, and all of a sudden they hear this noise, uh, and, and it seems to be coming from heaven, and it is loud. You know, it's a, the, kind of like this morning. Right? You know, but it's inside the house, and people are going, What is going on? Is God coming for us? Yes, yes, He is. And divided tongues, verse 3, and divided tongues 
as a fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Divided tongues as a fire. Can you get a picture of that in your head? It's a curious image. Yet I contend this is one of the clearest, if not the clearest, image of the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture. There is so much meaning packed into these three words, divided tongues as a fire. Maybe more than anything else in Scripture, this tells us about the Holy Spirit's person and work. So we need to pay attention here, folks. Divided tongues of fire tells us three really important things about this person of the triune Godhead. First of all, divided. Divided. This word, uh, you can even hear it in the English, can be taken in one of two ways. Divided in the sense that it's split. So tongues of fire and each tongue is split, or like forked or something like that. And some people have interpreted it this way. That's one way you could take divided tongues of fire. But there's a second possibility, which is that the tongues of fire were divided up among the people, which I think is the sense of of the scripture. That is, there are 120 people, about this size, maybe more, and the tongues get distributed. So divided up in the sense of distributed. Is that making sense? So there's a tongue over every single one of you if if you're there in the house. Now, this is significant when you think about the Holy Spirit because this tells us about who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is able to be in multiple places at once, to be multispatial for the purpose of doing God's work. And the Holy Spirit can live not just here, but here, 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 here. And, and we might say that God is, is, is able to be wherever he wants to be, but there's something specific with the Holy Spirit when we speak of this omnipresence. Because God the Father, we're told, lives in heaven. And Jesus Christ is incarnate. He actually has a body like yours and mine, except his is glorified. But the Holy Spirit is different in this sense. The Holy Spirit is able to dwell in you and in you and in you and in you. The Holy Spirit is able to be in multiple places all at once. And he does this so that he can bring people together. The Holy Spirit is not afraid to be diverse. The Holy Spirit is not afraid to, to be in multiple places. It's not because he's broken up. It's because he's actually bringing things together. One of the early uh, liturgies of the church talked about the bread. And it said, uh, we, we, we receive this bread even as the many grains of wheat have been brought together into one loaf. So we who are many are one. I, I love that because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings together the different grains into one loaf. The Holy Spirit brings lots of different things into one. brings lots of different people into one. So he's able to divide up, to unify. And at the end of verse 3, the Holy Spirit rested on each one of them. Rested on each one. Now, if the Holy Spirit were to fall upon us in this room and, and was about to do some kind of big act of communication, I think all of us, even me, would expect that the fire would just go right here upon this man. He's our leader, he's our senior pastor, and and that's it. And, And the Holy Spirit does fall that way. 
But the Holy Spirit keeps on falling. <laughs> keeps on falling on our elders. Keeps on falling on all of our people. The Holy Spirit keeps on falling. And this is what happens at Pentecost. Peter, tongue of fire on Peter. Tongue of fire on John. Tongue of fire on Matthias. Tongue of fire. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, hold on. The women have tongues of fire over their heads too? What? And you know, okay, 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 okay. Well, but, but at least they're all grown-ups. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. The kids have tongues of fire? They were just watching Veggie Tales. But apparently they have tongues of fire too. The, the, the young are in, the, are in on it too. And, and then in the second century, um, we know this from other records, that a lot of the early, a lot of the early church were slaves. Um, and, and there were certainly some slaves in there, in that room. And, and the tongues of fire go over the slaves too, not just the freemen. Not just the wealthy, but the poor. They have the tongues of fire over them too. What is going on? Well, this is to fulfill the prophecy in Joel, in which God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That all of these persons would be united in a common power and a common task. And that's good news, because it means you don't need to be everything. You don't need to be a superman, a superwoman, for God to use you. It's also good news because, hey, guess what? You don't need to save the world. It's not all about you, because if you look around, you can see other men and women here who are able to go out into the world because the Holy Spirit has empowered them too. And the truth is, Jeannie, you can reach people that I can't reach. You have influence in places I don't have influence, and vice versa. And so that's really good, because you have the Holy Spirit, and I have the Holy Spirit. And those of us who believe in Jesus have the Holy Spirit. And for those of us who have a messianic, a messianic complex... You can let that go. Divided. The Holy Spirit is able to divide and to use diverse media, diverse persons. Divided tongues. It's a bit creepy, isn't it? I was, I was telling Dave that uh, I was going to bring in a cow tongue today. <laughs> there... But you know this, Bill, there is such a thing as having an image that's just too good, <laughs> a prop that's a little too memorable, <laughs> you know, because you get a tongue, it's like this big, and you know, I, I just look at it, and I go, nah, no, they, we don't need to see that, you know, a couple of you would be barfing in the bathroom, like, it would be bad. <laughs> why a t Holy Spirit, why would you present yourself as tongues? Well, there's a real reason for it. Think about what function that tongue performs. Among other things, it is primarily there for communication. It's what a tongue does, is it helps us form syllables that turn into speech, and then we communicate to each other. Uh, in fact, it's so much the image in Scripture that the primary word for language in the Bible is tongue. So a tongue is not just a muscle, but a tongue is also a language. People speak in a certain tongue. Everybody speaks in a certain tongue, whether Swahili or French or Spanish or Portuguese or English or South Dakota English. Because <laughs> you know there is South Dakota English, right? <laughs> you know, where we're going to the capital, going to Pier. Excuse me, where? Pier. Have a friend in Belfouche. You realize there's an R in that word, right? <laughs> 
my favorite in South Dakota is that everything has an apostrophe S at the end. You know, yeah, I'm gonna pick up some pork chops at High V's. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there is no Mr. High V. It's not a mom and pop shop. You know, uh, uh, but you know, I'm guilty of it too. I've been here for a while, so I find myself speaking of this way. I'm like, hey, look, it's one o'clock. Let's get dinner. You know, go, go down to the grill by the creek, have some have some taverns. <laughs> I mean, there is a South Dakota English, and you know, I'm teasing you, but um, there are tongues, there are different ways of speaking. And the Holy Spirit appears as tongues so as to show that he is all about communication. He will use these tongues. You, you notice the Holy Spirit does not just unify all the different disciples to speak the same language. That's not the unification. He actually embraces all these other tongues, all these other languages, and has them speak in other languages. The Holy Spirit is uh, multilingual, the most multilingual one out there. Consider this. When God wants to communicate, when you look in the Bible and God wants to communicate, he sends different people. He sends different um, he uses different means. When God wants to communicate to his people, he sends the prophets, right? And the prophets, they declare the goodness of God. They remind people of the covenant. Uh, but the prophets are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then God wants to actually write down some of these things, either from the prophets or the apostles or their associates, that is, our, our biblical books. And so he, he, he gets people to write down these books, and these people are inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write inspired scripture. You'll notice that one of the main ways God communicates in the Old Testament and New is angels. And you go, ah, well, there's a case of people who, you know, the beings who are not actually the Holy Spirit. They're not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Or are they? If we had more time, I'd love to walk you through this, do some angelology. Who is in charge of the angels? Who is in charge of all these spirits? Could it be that the spirits are actually commandeered by the Holy Spirit? Could it be that the Holy Spirit is the Lord of angels? And here's the argument. Go, go and do this sometime. Look at the places where angels appear in the Bible, and then look for the Holy Spirit. And to see if there or somewhere else in Scripture it says the Holy Spirit is nearby. Gideon, for example. Gideon is somebody who is commissioned as a judge. An angel shows up and says, Gideon, I know you're just threshing your wheat here, but you're going to be the next judge. And he gets commissioned by an angel, and then it says the Holy Spirit fell upon him and clothed him with power. Or Mary, little Mary, gets spoken to by the angel Gabriel. And then, then as soon as Gabriel leaves, all of a sudden she is found with child. The Holy Spirit has conceived in her Jesus and, all, and the, wherever the angels are, the Holy Spirit is hovering there in the background. The Holy Spirit is inspiring those messages too. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the communicator. He is all about communication. Do you see the pattern? And what does the Holy Spirit talk about? Well, the Holy Spirit loves truth. He always tells the truth. He always wants to communicate about righteousness. He wants to get people on the right path. He wants to convict and do all these things, and he speaks truth. 
but it is a very specific truth that he is most passionate about. His topic, more than anything else, is Jesus. The Spirit keeps on going back to this topic. You know, you talk about anything with the Holy Spirit, he's going to lead you back to Jesus. If somebody prophesies over you, it gives you a message from the Lord, they claim it's from the Lord, just ask, is it leading me back to Jesus? And if it's not leading you back to Jesus, guess what? It's not from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit keeps on talking about the same thing over and over again. It's always about Jesus. <coughs> Divided tongues as of fire. There's that final part of the image, as of fire. All right, so you guys help me. What does fire stand for in the Bible? There's some different things. Cleansing, purifying, refining. Yeah, it does. So there are lots of places in uh, the worship in Israel at the temple where fire purifies certain things. Sometimes God's fire will purify things even in a kind of judgment, but it's for the purpose of purifying. Good. What else? The consuming. Okay. What, what does that mean exactly? I mean... I had a fire in my fireplace yesterday, and it does this, right? Fire can consume things. It, uh, and in this sense, it consumes. I think it still happens today occasionally, because uh, I've talked with two different people who had this exact experience. Let me just share this with you. This is so cool. Uh, I knew a woman in California who was on a mission trip to a remote part of Africa, and she was there uh, in a village, and she knew just a, just a handful of words. They were having a hard time communicating. But she said she went out of her tent one, one night and sat around the campfire. And she's talking with, with this tribe. And all of a sudden, she can hear them. Like she just knows what they're saying. And she begins speaking to them. And they have this huge conversation about Jesus. And, the, and she's kind of stunned by it. But she goes to bed. And she wakes up the next day. And she doesn't understand them anymore. And they don't understand her. Uh, even crazier than that, uh, I talked with a guy in Cincinnati. I was friends with him. And he said that he was with his father going into a nursing home. They were visiting somebody in a nursing home. And as they're, they're passing through the hallway, they're saying hi to all the people. They're sitting in their wheelchairs. And hi, how are you doing? How are you doing? And there's one woman who is kind of slouched over, hunched over so much. And they say hello to her, and she doesn't respond. And so they ask a nurse. They say, hey, is she okay? And the nurse says, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. She doesn't speak English at all. She's Ukrainian, so we don't know Ukrainian, and she's just kind of, you know, shrunk within herself. Well, they went and visited uh, the person they were supposed to visit, and then they're walking out, and my friend goes over and does something, gets a drink of water or something, and, and he looks back, and his father is talking to the woman in the wheelchair, um, and, and she's animated all of a sudden, and, she, and, and she's... She's excited, and, and, and she's talking very, in a very animated way, and, and he's talking to her, and my friend gets up closer, and he hears that they're speaking in Ukrainian. The woman is, and his father is. And they, they have this conversation, and, and then after the conversation, he and his father walk out the door, and he's like, Dad, I didn't know you knew, I didn't know you knew Ukrainian. He's like, I don't. <laughs> Why does the Holy Spirit do this sort of thing? Because he is the communicator. And, and, and the takeaway you should have here, brothers and sisters, is not, um, wow, wouldn't it be cool if that happened today? What you should take away 
from this is that the Holy Spirit is so impassioned to communicate Jesus with people, he will find any way to do this. And if he's willing to break all the normal rules and to give somebody a supernatural language to meet somebody, do you think he's going to give you a little bit of power so that you can talk to your neighbor or your friend? It's not a big deal to him. He has plenty of power. He can do all of this stuff. He will reach people for Christ by whatever means necessary. And I'm telling you, his preferred means is always you. The Holy Spirit's plan A is to empower you to invite your coworker to church, to share Jesus with your neighbors, to offer the forgiveness of Jesus to a fellow student who insulted you. Plan A is to proclaim the gospel repeatedly in your family. Maybe it's to learn a new language and go to the ends of the earth making disciples. I don't know. But that's the Holy Spirit's plan. The diverse tongues of fire, I believe, are going to fall on you and me. They're going to fall on Life Church. Amen. There's going to be a kind of Pentecost that happens over and over again. Um, I think that's what we're supposed to take away from Acts 2. And if this scares you, if having the Holy Spirit fall upon you sounds scary to you, you're right. <laughs> you're right. You should be scared. The Holy Spirit, friends, will work in you in such a way that you can't be self-consumed anymore. He won't just let you talk to yourself. He won't give you all the space you want. He will give you a burden to communicate with others the news that God has sent Jesus to save the world. The Spirit loves you too much to leave you in your own gravity, to leave you in your own sloth. And the Holy Spirit is scary because he will work inside you so that you are convicted of your pride. And this presence inside you is fearsome. He will humble you and purify you. He will turn you inside out. He will kill your perverted desires that are pressing you compulsively to make a name for yourself. He will make you ache for the name of Jesus to be lifted high. And he cares too much for you to leave you in your pride. But here's the good news. Holy Spirit will descend on you with diverse tongues of fire. He will empower you for a holy vocation to go out into all the earth and make disciples. You will get to know the communicator, and the communicator will empower you to communicate. And as the name of Jesus is lifted high, something amazing will happen. You too will realize that by no effort of your own, you have a name. Indeed, the Holy Spirit, like a coach, like a gentle parent, like a best friend, has been speaking your name over you the whole time. I'm going to ask Jen to come up and share the gospel with you. Thanks, Dr. Hitchcock. So everything that Nathan shared with us today only makes sense in the context of understanding 
who God is, who Jesus is, and then ultimately understanding who the Holy Spirit is. And so if today didn't make a lot of sense because this is your first time hearing that story, let me give you a really fast version of it. God the Father sent his son Jesus to come be fully man and live on earth, to die on a cross and take all of our sins, to go to heaven, to rise above death. So he died and and was called to heaven, and he is going to return. And until he returns, we have that Holy Spirit here with us. But it is only through the acceptance of that whole story of there being an almighty God, of Jesus being the forgiver of our sins who died as the ultimate sacrifice, that we then can have the Holy Spirit come and live in us and ignite us and move us forward. And so if this is the first time you've heard that story, in a minute we're going to have people from the church come forward. You can come and talk to them and pray with them and discuss that. And they will pray with you. But here's my other challenge. As Dr. Hitchcock said, the Holy Spirit is that voice that speaks to us, that convicts us, that pushes us forward. And so if during the sermon today, during one of the points that Nathan made, you felt the Holy Spirit talk to you to bring up something in your life, whether it's something to deal with or some brave step you need to take, I encourage you today to come forward, take the brave step of coming and asking somebody to pray with you about that um, and to advocate for you. So as the prayer team comes forward, I'm going to ask them to come stand with me, and then we're going to pray. If you want to come and be prayed for, please come forward. Otherwise, please leave quietly to allow space for those who need prayer to receive it. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, to guide us, to give us power, to convict us, to encourage us, and to be the ultimate communicator so that we can share what you've done in us with others. Be with us this week. Make us extremely in tune to your voice, to your communication to us so that we can communicate to others. Thank you for your love. Amen.